Okay, let's turn to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians 4, 3. I pray you have your Bible. Can I hear an amen? amen? Can I hear a praise the Lord this morning? Thank you. Glory to God. Glory to the Lord. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a local church in Corinth, Greece. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. This morning we're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. It's kind of a wordy passage, maybe even a little bit more wordy, abstract, a little tough to understand in the King James. A passage that is wordy and abstract is usually a good candidate for skipping in your preaching. You know, it's... uh, it's, it's easier to preach something to the congregation that's plain and direct, particularly if there's plot to it, a story to it. Well, there's not really a story here, and it's a bit abstract and a bit wordy, but the passage is very current. It's very relative, and I know that you at Living Word Church are highly motivated when it comes to understanding the Word of God, so let's tackle it. Praise the Lord. We live in a day where people get approval by emojis. (laughs) Approval by emoji. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Or if if you're really uh, uh, approved of, you might get one of these. I don't know where the camera is. There you go. You might get one of these. Heart, man. Heart. It's, a, it's sort, of, sort of a vote. It's sort of ruled by popularity. The People's Choice Awards. But the Apostle Paul refers to this popularity contest. He says, With me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. What a nervy thing to say. It's small to me. What you think of me is small to me. It's not nothing. It's not uh, something that I pay no attention to whatsoever, but it's small. This sentence sounds brave. It sounds very independent. He says, with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Is he resting his thumbs up in his life thumbs down? on his own say-so? Is he saying to us, the only thing that matters to me is whether I give a thumbs up to my life or a thumbs down to my life. I don't care about your thumbs up or thumbs down. My own thumbs up and thumbs down is all that concerns me. He doesn't care what others think. He sounds very self-reliant. But then he says something interesting at the end of uh, verse 3. And he corrects a possible misunderstanding on our part because at the end of verse 3, he says, and let me put in parentheses here, lest you think I'm egotistical, here's what he actually says, I judge not my own self. He's clarifying, I am not self-reliant. I am not saying just nobody judges me. I judge myself. He says, I don't judge myself. Well, think about it. You judge, others judge you. Others assess you. Others give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Okay, you don't care about that. Then you say, and actually, I don't think very highly of my own judgment of myself. And we might say, well, what else is there? 
You don't care so much about other people's assessment of you. You don't care so much about your own assessment of you. Is this somewhat of a mystery? I will not be judged by those around me. I will not be judged by myself. We have to read the whole passage. Is he some sort of impulsive libertine who just does whatever he wants to do when he feels like it? Is he just living life by the seat of his pants, doing whatever he feels? Does he, he doesn't care what others think. He doesn't ever even think very hard or very long about what he thinks. Is, is his position judgment of any sort? Bah! Bah! I don't pay attention to it. Is he saying, I just do what I want to do whenever I want to do it? However it strikes me. Do I, is he saying, I just live in the moment? Could he care less about being consistent or disciplined? Is that what he's saying? I don't have to be consistent. I could be this way one day and that way another day. I could be uh, ruled by these feelings on one day and different feelings on another day. Is he a rogue? Well, let's start with verse 1. I'll read it to you in the New Living Translation. One of the easier translations to understand. I have to say, I'm not totally, uh, I don't prefer their translation philosophy. They do a lot of explaining of the Word of God as well as translating the Word of God. I prefer a translation that simply translates and lets us figure out what it means. I don't like somebody to be telling me what it means and passing it off as a translation. But the New Living Translation, they're not trying to be deceptive in any way. They, they're very plain about their philosophy. They, they've let the whole world know what their philosophy is. They're trying to be helpful. And I find them helpful, and that's why I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation, because it's helpful. Verse 1 in the New Living Translation So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Wow, that'll be thrilling if we appear before the throne of God and he looks at us and he smiles and he goes like this to us. Now that will be a thumbs up that counts. Amen? Now we're getting the idea. There's a third possibility. It's not just a matter of, I don't care how you judge me. I don't even care how I judge me. The third possibility is, I care very much how the Lord in heaven judges me. It's his assessment. It's his uh, evaluation of me that counts. Before becoming a wild thing because he doesn't care what people think, and he doesn't care what even he he thinks himself. He doesn't become a wild thing because he cares what God thinks. Verse 4 says, It's the Lord himself will examine me and decide. Verse 5 says, God 
will give to each one whatever praise is due. In the King James, verse 4 reads, He that judgeth me is the Lord. In the King James, verse 5 reads, And then shall every man have praise of God. Hallelujah. Praise of God. So let's go back to thumbs up. I don't worry about the thumbs up you give me. I don't even care about the heart I give to myself. How does God judge me? In verse 2, in the New Living Translation, it says, Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. The King James says, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We must be faithful to God, who is our master or our boss. When the Apostle Paul refers to being a steward in the King James or a manager in the New Living Translation, he is putting himself between the people he serves and the God he serves. A manager is in between the people beneath him and the people above him, or the person above him. And we also, brothers and sisters, must be faithful to God who is our master. God first. Loyalty. If we're not living in such a way that puts God first as the master of our lives, we are actually living like atheists. We may confess God as Lord. We may believe in God as Lord. But if we do not do the will of our master, we are living like atheists. I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. Ah, but do you live with God as your master, as your boss, concerned about what he thinks? Not what other people think so much, not even what you think about your own life so much, but about what God thinks and how God assesses you. This is required of stewards. If we believe in him, we should be faithful to him. We don't make the rules, in other words, for serving God. We learn the rules for serving God. We don't make them, we learn them. We don't think up the expectations for uh, the Christian life. We find out the expectations by reading God's Word and especially studying the New Testament. I uh, have done a lot of carpentry in my life, and I've had bosses in the construction business, a boss that oversaw me. By the way, uh, people uh, have been asked, polls have been taken, where, where do you like to work the least? What's your least favorite place to work? And the most popular answer, the most common answer is, wherever my boss is. But anyway, I've had bosses on the carpentry uh, construction site. And let me divide the work of carpenters into two things. There is uh, cutting the materials into the proper lengths and shapes and sizes and so on. And then there's fastening. Almost half the job is cutting and half the job is fastening. You know, think of a carpenter with a saw in his hand and he cuts a piece of two by four to the correct length and then he or some other carpenter takes out his hammer out of his holster and grabs a couple nails and puts the properly cut piece of wood together. And it's very efficient on a construction site to sort of assign a specialist to do the cutting and another specialist to do the assembling with hammers or screws or a nail gun or whatever, do the fastening. I've uh, uh, 
organized a, a construction site. Many times that way. You do the cutting, you do the fastening. I'll nail things together, you cut all the parts and pieces. Works very, it's very efficient that way. Two guys can do uh, the work of probably three people independently when you divide the work up that way. But no boss that I ever had ever said, okay, Brian, you, you are the full-time cutter. Every day when you come, you cut. That's all you ever do because you like cutting so much. You like cutting a lot and you get all hot and sweaty and your fingers get blisters when you do a lot of hammering. So since you don't really like hammering and you like cutting a lot, you're going to be a full-time cutter and we're going to let all the other guys do all the hammering. I never had a boss tell me that. In fact, as a carpenter, I had to be prepared to do both. I had to do the things that I liked doing and I had to do the things that I didn't like doing. That's my point. You have to do what you like and what you don't like when you have a master, when you have a boss, when you have somebody over you telling you what to do. Brothers and sisters, so many Christians today are just picking and choosing, doing the parts of Christianity that they like following the verses that they like, studying the verses that they like, making their whole Christian uh, um, education formed by devotionals that pick and choose from the Word of God. You won't get a complete exposure to all the Word of God from a devotional. You will not. From no devotional will you get a thorough exposure to all the Word of God. You're going to have to do that partly by yourself and by the church church that you choose to go to. You should go to a church that preaches the whole Word of God, doesn't play favorites with certain parts and pieces of the Word of God. Am I telling the truth? Why? Because we have a master, because we have a boss. Because man's judgment is suspect. Man's judgment doesn't matter that much. What's popular doesn't matter that much. And the truth of the matter is, what we think personally doesn't matter that much. What matters is what God thinks. What matters is what God has decided. What God has judged. What matters is God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Who is God? Who is God? This one that assesses us, that judges us, that watches over us, that tells us what to do, and then evaluates whether we do it. Who is God? I'll tell you. He's the eternal one. He is the self-existent one. He doesn't have a boss. He doesn't have a father. He doesn't have an origin. He doesn't have a creator. He always was. He always was. He never came about. He never came from a place. He didn't come from a source. He always was. And he is the one, oh my, by virtue of his self-existence, by virtue of his always having been, by virtue of having no father, no source, no creator, no mother, no being that he came from, no power that originated him. He is the one we should listen to. He's the one that matters when it comes to thumbs up or thumbs down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He serves no other. He stands alone at the top of all judgment and authority. He is not middle management. He is the CEO of all, everywhere, everything, everybody, invisible and visible. He is the CEO. He cannot be voted out of office. He is the top of all judgment and authority without a boss, without a master. He will not stop existing for anybody. He will not step aside. He will not vacate his throne. He is boss. Not for any reason will he step aside. He is the creator. 
When we talk about God, we talk about one who is self-existent, supreme in power. He is the creator. He created the physical, no doubt about it. He created the physical. We can see God's design coming through. We can see design coming through. Back to the carpenter. You know, he cuts two by fours. I will tell you, if you go for a walk at Living Word Camp, and you're walking through the woods, and you're stepping over rotting logs, and be, being careful not to trip on roots and rocks and so on. If some years ago a carpenter cut a two-by-four, like a six or an eight-inch piece of a two-by-four, and left it there in the woods for some reason, maybe he was involved in a project and it was a scrap of wood and he just left it there, you could come by. Years later, it could be covered with moss, green, starting to rot, laying there among the leaves, laying there among the uh, rotting logs and so on, the roots and the rocks. And in one second, one second, you'll be able to look at that and say, that's man-made. That didn't grow there. That's man-made. That's a piece of two-by-four. You'll be able to tell in one second. It could be green, covered with moss. It could be half-rotted. In one second, you could say, oh, that's a milled piece of lumber that somebody left here. You can know it in a second because the, the two opposite sides are parallel and the corners around it are 90 degrees. You can tell in a second. It's a man-made piece of wood. Well, I'll tell you, if you look at nature, the cell, DNA, the, the uh, animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the, this beautiful earth hanging in space, in, in the vast, dark, cold space, a place hospitable for human life. If you look at these things, you say, God created this. I can see it in a second. I see it in a second. And people can say, oh, it's moldy. Oh, it's green. Oh, it's rotting and decaying. Oh, it's falling apart. I don't care about any of that. If you, if you tell me I can't see a piece of two by four on the floor of the woods at Living Word Camp, I'll tell you you're crazy. And I'll tell you if, you, if I can't see the hand and design of God in nature, in earth, the plant and animal kingdoms, all the designs, all the planets, the, oh, so many things to see, I'll tell you you're crazy. I see the hand of God. Well, I'll tell you something. He's the boss of what he created. We're living in his world. And we should be careful how we live in his world. I mean, uh, let me talk to my high school brothers for a second. Maybe some of the sisters too. Would you like me to visit this afternoon and take a look at your bedroom? (laughs) Pure chaos, right? Darkness covered the earth. (laughs) Wild and waste. Okay, that's your bedroom. But you're not going to make my house like that if you come over for a visit, are you? You're not just going to throw stuff on the floor. You're not just going to eat your pasta Sunday dinner and, and leave the plate on the ottoman in the living room. You go over somebody else's house, you're more careful. Well, I'm telling you, we're all living in God's world. He made it. We should be careful how we live. And we should be concerned at what he thinks of us. And I'll just point out here, as, because I'm lobbying for the parents in the church, that your bedroom is in his world too. Well, I have to say that lightly because I don't want you to look at my desk in my den. But at least it's confined pretty much to my desk. He also created the invisible. The Bible tells us of angels that come to our rescue. When we pray, angels come to our rescue. Sometimes when we don't even pray, they come to our rescue. God has created the invisible powers as well. That's why we should be concerned about what he thinks. 
I'll tell you another thing about God. He is the Almighty. He's called many times the Almighty in the Bible. He is fearful and of great power. He uses his great power to bring order and holiness to, to his whole uh, uh, creation, to wherever he works. He brings order and holiness there by his almighty power. Uh, just recently, Brother Don shared with us a message about Thanksgiving and several times mentioned how we seem to have an infinite capacity for taking things for granted. I want to tell you this morning, do not take God for granted. It's easy to take God for granted, I guess because he's invisible. But he is almighty in power, the creator of all, self-existent, never created, everlasting to everlasting. There has been no God form besides him. And if we think that we can determine how to live the rules for and expectations for our own lives, we are right then and there taking God and his power for granted. God said in Genesis chapter 1, oceans, be where I tell you to be. Mountains, where I tell you to be. Plants, animals, you will bear offspring after your own kind. That's all. Plants after your own kind. Sun and moon, do what I tell you to do. Stars, what I tell you to do. Day and night as I have planned it. Am I telling you the truth? Evil will be contained by God. Evil will be imprisoned, arrested, accosted by the power of God and confined to a lake that burns with fire forever and ever. Am I telling you the truth? Is that what the Bible says? He's God, brothers and sisters. He's God. He deserves all reverence, all respect. Evil will be contained in a lake that burns with fire. The holy will be contained in its place as well, separated from that lake of fire. It will be contained in the place where the Lamb of God, who is slain for the sins of men, is honored most and where where beasts cry day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's where the, the goodness will be contained. Hallelujah. God is holy. He is one of a kind. There is no one like him. He has no peer. He has no equal. When you get his thumbs up, that's all you ever need. For eternity, that's all you ever need. You can be satisfied, blessed, fulfilled for eternity if God gives you the thumbs up. If people give you a thumbs up, the next day you're going to want some more. They don't satisfy. Poor young people, they get addicted, addicted nowadays to social media and they start getting thumbs up and then they post a picture of themselves. And they don't get any thumbs up. And they're crushed. And they're filled with anxiety. And depression might even come into their lives because they're not getting a thumbs up anymore. You see, today's thumbs up don't last until tomorrow. But I'll tell you, if God Almighty, God the self-existent, God the creator gives you the thumbs up, that will last you for eternity. It will give you joy for eternity. It will give you satisfaction for eternity. It will give you fulfillment for eternity. You will have peace for eternity if God gives you a thumbs up. He does no sin. He makes no mistake. Praise God. Listen, he lets this world run free when it is righteous to do so. He lets evil multiply in the world and he lets the will of man and the will of the devil run free when it is righteous to do so. And I'll tell you something else. When God wants to, and when it's righteous, to put this world in his vice grip, 
of his hand on the scruff of this world's neck. And he says, oh, no, you don't. You're not going there. You're going here. Then that's what God does. When it's righteous to let the world go free, he lets it go free. When it's righteous to put the world in his vice grip, he puts it in his vice grip. He makes no mistakes. He's holy. Now listen, I've said just a few of the characteristics of God. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of who God is, what he's like, how important he is, his place in the universe. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface. But you could feel rising up in you concern about what he thinks, don't you? And you could be a little alarmed that you might go through a day and not be concerned what God is thinking about you that day. Oh, heaven forbid that we would go through a day not concerned about whether we're getting a thumbs up or a thumbs down from God. You say, I'm satisfied with myself. I'm satisfied. The Apostle Paul talked about that. He said, I don't put a lot of trust in me. What I think is not that important. Popularity won't matter. A feeling or a claim to self-satisfaction. I'm happy with myself. I'm content with myself. I'm at peace with myself. That too, brothers and sisters, is going to be blown away in a vapor. Now, some people have another problem that way. They can never stop giving themselves a thumbs down. Well, that's not justified either. Stop it. Don't put too much stock in your judgment of yourself. It's God that matters. And when the sun sets someone free, he sets them free indeed. God is an overcomer, and he makes his people more than overcomers. But see, we can have a balance to our esteem, to the esteem of ourselves. Not too much faith in our own thumbs up or thumbs down. Ah, That's just us. Paul says, I judge not my own self. The feeling of self-satisfaction is weak. It's thin. It's illusory. Paul does not trust such a feeling of self-satisfaction. We understand that the atheist puts all their trust in their feeling. I must please myself, says the atheist. As long as I am satisfied with myself, everything is good. All is good as long as I am free to make my own expectations for my life. Nobody makes expectations for my life but me. Nobody makes the goals for my life but me. I am the master. I am the middle management and I am the servant. I am, I am everything. So says the atheist. But I will tell you, Christians too have to be very careful about entering into that atheistic mindset where we say, I don't listen to anybody. I don't listen. I determine. I, I am the one that determines the expectations for my life. I am the one who decides. I am the one who evaluates. I will tell you. You could say, I believe in Jesus. You could say, I love Jesus. But that way of thinking is atheistic. You're thinking like an atheist. Because I will tell you, who is it who makes the expectations for our lives? God. And he is high, and he is mighty, and he is holy, he is eternal, he is self-existent, and he's the one that is boss. He's the boss. He's the master. He's the CEO. Or, equally atheistic, is never being satisfied with yourself. Having depression, anxiety, 
fear, being just beaten down, impossible to encourage. Encouragement bounces off some hearts and minds like BBs off a 55-gallon drum. Bink, 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 nothing. No penetration whatsoever. I'm no good, I'm bad, I'm unable, I'm inept. I want to tell you, God doesn't want you to think that way about yourself either. Here's the point. You can't really trust your own thoughts about you. That's what the apostle... Look, the apostle Paul was a smart guy, very astute, very learned in Christ, and he didn't trust his own thoughts about himself. Very accomplished man, and he said, my thoughts about myself, I don't trust them. We'll see. We will see how God judges me. Give them both up. The thumbs up that you give to yourself. The thumbs down that you give to yourself. They're both godless. They're both atheistic. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. I'm reading to you the scriptures. The atheist feels very satisfied when he is achieving his own personal goals. That is success for him. Whatever the goals are, he decides them for himself. The atheist has sexual goals, economic goals, money goals, applause goals. Girls, guys, gold and glory. Awards as his goals. Power. Achievements. These are the goals of the atheist. They're all in this world. They're discounting when we step across the line into the world to come. God's world. A single person can succeed at all of these expectations or none of them. Or all of them. Or one of them. Does this atheist then have affixed to their soul forever a title, thumbs up, success? You met your goal. Since you met your goal, you're a success. You meet your goal, you're a success. You don't meet your goal, you're not a success, you're a failure. I want to tell you something. Don't be too worried about what this world thinks of you. And don't be too impressed by what you think of yourself. What we need to be concerned about is what God Almighty, God in heaven, God the eternal thinks of us. Amen. Jesus tells us of the likelihood that rich people will go to hell. It's just one example of many brothers and sisters. Those who succeed in a stunning way in this world and then go to hell because they wouldn't hear the word of God, because they weren't open to the word of God and what God had to say. They weren't listening to God. Instead, they were making their own way with their own expectations, their own definition of success or failure. And according to their definition of success, they succeeded royally and they go to hell forever because they didn't honor God. They didn't put him first. They didn't honor him as master. Now, it could be money, it could be glory, it could be pleasures, it could be status, it could be the markers of power, whatever we achieve. Our measurement of success means so little next to God's measurement of success. All those things are what the atheistic world wants to achieve. The atheist says, look, mister, 
butt out of my life. I'll make my own yardstick for measuring my life. I'll use my own yardstick. I'll develop my own metric. If I succeed at achieving according to my own metric, that's all I want in life. I just want to achieve according to my own metric. I'm telling you, your metric doesn't mean much. I don't want to overstate the case and make it sound like it means nothing. People achieve wonderful things in this world. Believers do and unbelievers do. But I'll tell you, when you step across the line, it's not your metric that will mean anything. It's not your measurement. It's not your list of expectations for your life. It's not your satisfaction with yourself that is going to matter. What's going to matter is God satisfied. He determines what is success in life. We don't. His goals, not our goals. We should not set the standard. God sets the standard. When we define the standards, we may may not even think about God. And that is what an atheistic world does. That's what an atheistic worldview or perspective does. I make my own metric, my own yardstick. Jesus said this, pray like this, my my brothers and my sisters, pray like this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, may we work at accomplishing your expectations for our lives, your heavenly expectations for our earthly lives. Oh Lord, help us to connect our efforts, our time, our dreams, our strategies. Help us to connect them to yours in heaven, where you are, there. Not my goals and desires be done as I have imagined them, as I have felt them, as I have approved them in my own heart. Revelation 20:12 if you would I think we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 4 Revelation 20 verse 12 and that we're right near the end of the New Testament here right and it's describing the very near to the end of the end of the world as we know it, it says in verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now I'm going to jump to the end of the verse. It says, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Let me point out a problem with self-assessment. When we do self-assessment, our assessment usually goes back like five minutes. Well, I've been doing great for five minutes, so that means I'm great. Oh, of course, I'm exaggerating, a little hyperbole there. Yes, we can remember back five days. I've been doing great for a week. That makes me great. Or I've been doing great for a year. That makes me great. That gives me a thumbs up. I got a, I got a thumbs up every day for a week. I got a thumbs up every day for a month. I must be a thumbs up guy. I'll tell you something though. God looks at your whole life. And God doesn't forget. And God sees your whole life. He sees the whole thing and you are judged according to the whole thing. One of the problems with human assessment and self-assessment is that the lifetime is forgotten And one is thought to be as good as his last act or his last project or his last accomplishment. If today was a good day, then I'm good. Not so with God. God sees the whole. God remembers it all. I am not saying that God does not put the believer's sins away. He does. He puts the believer's sins as far as the east is from the west. He says, I will remember your sins no more. On the other hand, 
God is not going to evaluate you by the last five minutes, five days, or five years of your life. And that's where we fail as self-assessors. That's where our satisfaction with ourselves, that's one of the areas where we fail. Our memories are not so good. Our accounts are not so complete. God sees the whole. Even the believers face the judgment seat of God. Romans 14.10 says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, I'm not too moved by what you guys think of me. And the truth be told, I'm not too moved but by what I think of myself. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4. What will be looked at by God? What will count? We don't know that precisely. We're fooling ourselves if we think we know precisely what will be looked at. I want to knock down a peg or two your confidence in yourself. Your righteousness will not open heaven's door for you. On the other hand, God has expectations, heavenly expectations for your life. And if you want somebody's thumbs up, you want his thumbs up. Not your daddies, not your mommies, not your classmates. You want God's thumbs up. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, I'm in the uh, New Living Translation still. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. So oftentimes this thought process, we don't really know, we we shouldn't really judge anybody before the time, makes Christians hide in self-justification. They say, leave me alone, you can't judge me, only God judges me, while they know they fall short. Don't use it to hide Don't use, you can't judge me to hide your own shortcomings. Don't have any shortcomings. Serve God. He's your master. Fear him. Do all you can for him. The Apostle Paul says, you can't trust me on me. You can't trust you on you. In other words, you can't trust your own opinion about yourself. Kids today in the public schools are being indoctrinated with the idea that they can trust themselves, that they are the only judges for their lives, that there are no expectations for them other than the ones they create for themselves. Am I telling you the truth? Is that the, is that the indoctrination of the public school system? No. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Learn the will of God from God's book. Do your best to obey. If you mess up, repent quickly. Let him define success and failure in your life. He's the boss. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We need to wake up. There is nothing that says we have to do wrong and evil and sin. We are just being drawn away by our own lusts. We have no one to point to and blame. We have no excuse and no out. We have expectations from God and we need to walk in them. We need to retain God in our minds. 
We need to not take him for granted. Remember who he is and who we're serving. He's the master. We need to keep acknowledging God as our judge. If we don't, God will let us take ourselves from his reach. It's called becoming reprobate. And then we will no longer honor him as judge. We may honor him with our lips. We may honor him with our mouths. But our hearts will be far from him because we will have become nothing other than our own masters. First, we'll pretend that we only answer to ourselves. And then God will give us what we want. Okay, go ahead. Answer to no one other than yourselves. I'm out of here. God will say, I'm out of here. Find your own way. If you're so smart and your judgment of yourself is is the only thing that matters to you, go ahead, judge yourself. And God will withdraw his convicting power and his convicting spirit from your life. He'll say, go ahead, and you won't feel him. God will give us over to our own lusts. And we'll be very satisfied with ourselves as sinners. No conviction. No repentance. No getting right with God really quick when we mess up. That's what will happen when we don't recognize and honor God for who he is. Question, can you serve God too much? Can you be too intense? Can you have too much faith? Can you be too generous with God? Oh, he's very generous with us. But God doesn't exist just to serve us. We also exist to serve him. Amen? He's the master. He's the master. So the Apostle Paul can say, I'm not too worried about what you guys think of me. And I'm not really that concerned with what I think of myself. We'll see, when we see him face to face, we'll see how we've done. I think we should be conscious of God every minute of every day. We should be thinking about him and his expectations for us. That we have to answer to him. That we're accountable to him. And we should not just insist on, you know, doing things our way and I've got to have it my way and I've got to to do what's right in my own eyes. No, don't have too much faith in what's right in your own eyes. There's a way that seems right to a man, right in his own eyes, and the end of it is death. Amen? We shouldn't be too confident of our own eyes. Oh, I've been a Christian a long time. Well, you could be hard and stubborn after being a Christian a long time. Let us, O oh Lord, be humble before you. Let us, O oh Lord, humble our hearts before you. Oh God, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, let us be humble before you. Let us walk right in your eyes. Let us think about you every day, all day, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We bless your name. We honor you for who you are. And I ask for your powerful movement in the lives of all that are in my hearing today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't forget, there's baptism tonight. If you'd like to be baptized, check in with Brother Ben or myself before you leave today. Oh, uh, I'll be here earlier to sign uh, Papa's Wink books. I'll be here about 7 o'clock tonight if anybody wants um, to purchase a Papa's Wink and have it signed. Okay? Okay, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Have a wonderful day.